Welcome. A boom, boom, Here we are now. In the city. Caleb, you're supposed to start rapping, dude. Come on. <laughs> Jack, I laid I, down that sick beat. I'm going to start this off really strong because I, I have a bone to pick with you. A bone? <laughs> a bone to well, pick you know, with me. my wife and I have been arguing a lot about boneless wings versus bone in wings. <laughs> and I, I'm all for bone in wings. So okay. let's go, brother. Let's go. Man, I rewatched Arrival last night. And two stars oh, not is with just me. way too low, man. <laughs> yeah, Jack. Colin said not with me. <laughs> Colin, it's not always about you. Yeah. That's beside the point. Jack, we surprised you. This is an attack. This is an yeah. intervention. This is an ambush and an intervention. <laughs> this is actually perfect because I had nothing planned for this opening, so I appreciate you guys coming in and backing me up and supporting me in these times when I don't have a clever, fun, creative, awesome idea to start the episode out with. So I just love the joy and support you two give me in my day-to-day doings when I come in, maybe not at my full potential functioning for creativity and thinking of great, juicy ideas to start the episode off with. And I just can't tell you He's how much freaking filibustering this joy this intervention. Show up, Jack. This wonderful <laughs> moment of your spontaneity that you guys are bringing to the conversation. So welcome to Yelling at the Screen. I'm your host, Jen. Oh, man. I'm Colin. <laughs> I'm Caleb. What a narratively satisfying opening. It's almost like we run a podcast together or something. Yeah. And somehow we knew Imagine. Jack didn't have an opener for this one. Yeah. Wow, guys. A look behind the curtain. The jokes write themselves. <laughs> Boom. Got him. So do you guys want to like bash me over the head with my wrong opinions? Well, finger yes. quotes wrong. <laughs> we absolutely <laughs> so we do, dude. I do have a new observation that I do want to talk about briefly. Lay it on us. After watching this, especially after watching a Terrence Malick film recently, Jack, there's so much influence on Arrival of Terrence, of Terrence Malick's work. And I don't understand why you don't appreciate that more like in the movie. Like in why that doesn't give it a higher rating for you well and i would argue that the best parts of the film are the parts that are very malik inspired mm, especially that okay. opening yeah because the re- and it's so funny you bring this up because today we're covering i lost my body and some of my favorite parts of i lost my body have a very malik presence to them mm, too nice especially in regards to like some of the existential themes and just the moments without dialogue where it's just characters kind of thinking back on the past and going about their day-to-day lives sure so it is interesting you bring that up however when it comes to a film like arrival or even a film like i lost my body we do have to examine kind of the core themes and concepts they're exploring of course you might say to yourself well jack what do you do you have a problem with those ideas do you have a problem with those themes do you have a problem with the text and my answer is eh, not really it just it doesn't engage or grab me the way something like Malick's films do. Okay. Okay. So it's almost perfect you bring up Malick, because I was actually going to bring him up in our discussion about our feature film today. Well, I'm excited for that. I don't know what any, I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> 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 throwing words like Malick and Terrence. <laughs> Those are made up. We need to be talking about Quentin and Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny written by a director <laughs> that was such a funny meme we need to post that so on I'm gonna say account. one second thing because obviously the arrival narrative has to unfold bit by bit and we can't just 
give the people what they want. We can't give them the eight-hour arrival argument cut just yet, folks. The second thing I'll say about <laughs> why arrival may not grab me like it does for you two Dude, he's is... trying to get out of paying for his opinion I know. again. <laughs> Caleb, why are we letting this happen? I don't know. I'm giving you little by little, you Bro, know? He's filibustering. Dude, that is... He is Donald Trumping the poo turds out of this bad boy. He's getting the filibusters out. Hey, GOP. I'm heading to McDonald's after this. I'm excited to eat a Big Mac. Let's go. You see what he's doing, and he's succeeding What's, what's now. also crazy, Colin, on. is somehow he's going to figure out how to plug yelling at the screen at gmail.com and into this, too, and it's going to blow our minds. Oh, God. No, not this time, dude. He won't get not us. Not this time. Bro, we're, we're ready. We got it. I was just going to say the second thing about Arrival is there comes a point where, and I'll admit, I've been cheating. I've been cheating a little bit, but I just realized I've now logged 1,600 entries on Letterboxd. <laughs> and I say entries because I think 100 of them are probably short sure. films, and now there's a bunch of animes on Letterboxd. So, oh, Death Note is like watching four films. Let me log that. Ha, ha, ha. That will make up for all the short films I've logged. <laughs> My point is, is the more films I watch the more some films just don't stick with me as much as others. So if my negativity on Arrival sounds harsh, it's less of, oh, this film is bad, I hate this film, and more of a, well, I don't really remember what I liked about the film in the first place. Mm. Okay. Now, did, did you only see it when it came out in theaters? Yes. Okay. So if a rewatch could... I'm very much of the mindset of... A, flexible ratings i mean <laughs> i talked a couple episodes ago about how i only thought once no sorry i'm getting my movies mixed up i only thought the good the bad and the ugly was three and a half stars but the other night i woke up at three in the morning and i was like honey and daisy was like what's wrong are you okay jack and i was like i was wrong daisy <laughs> the good the bad and the ugly is a four star film log it she said jack. <laughs> so it's important to rate understand daisy, that i think dude. ratings are, are flexible uh, okay i thought a lot about um Tuco's character in that movie and that kind of change. Anyways, you guys haven't seen that movie. But our main character and I Lost My Body has seen that movie, Jack. <laughs> he does. We have the both the same oh. favorite actor in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he loves Lee Van Cleef and I love Lee Van Cleef. Let's go! Nathan's going to make a guest appearance on the podcast because I got to tell him I'm recording, bro. I can't play that Apex Legend. <laughs> yeah, bring him on, man. Bring it. him on. First, I want first it. out to Nathan. Yeah. Uh, Show the world that we don't it. live in some post-apocalyptic uh, future that we're sending these episodes <laughs> through a time machine. Give me Sarah Connor stuff. Give me that. <laughs> what, is, what are you doing, Colin? Calm down. <sighs> Sorry. Maybe Apex will sponsor us one day. <laughs> Anyway, maybe one of the new legends' new, favorite new... podcast will be yelling at the screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> welcome to Horizon at the screen. Um... All right, oh. Caleb, you had the honor of picking today's feature film. We're going to discuss. I did. Would you like to introduce the movie for today? Yes. So this was a film that I fell in love with about a year ago when it came out on Netflix. It was premiered at Cannes Film Festival. And it won, I don't remember the category it won, but it was the first time that it that an animated film won that category, I believe, which was a big deal. And it got nominated for an Academy Award, but lost to Toy Story 4, which is understandable. They both explore some deep existential themes, some of which we'll explore here today. But whether or not you like Toy Story 4 or I Lost My Body, you'll have to 
you'll have to email us email us at yelling at the screen at gmail.com or tweet us or at tweet yes us. tweets yes go caleb shouting out the plug let's go so caleb what were some of the reasons you kind of before we get into colin and i's our first impressions of the film tell us a little bit about what made you compelled to bring up this film for today's discussion for a full-length episode discussion that's a fair question it has been on my mind so much over the past year and that has a largely has to do with how beautiful the score is and the music is like i listen to it all the time it's so it can be so relaxing it can be so beating at beat at times as well as the themes that it explores i think i really resonate with the protagonist especially because it kind of feels like we're in very similar places in life and I, I can really connect with that. And so I'm able to think about the story in a different way and then I think other people might. So I want to explore those themes as well as there's some deep philosophical things happening in the story and that really fascinates me and I want to talk about that on the pod. I think that's an important part of the discussion when it comes to film. Nice. Well, thank you, Caleb. Thank you. Now, this was, Colin, your first time to watch this film, correct? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> it, we'll call it my uh, first and a third time right. to watch this film. <laughs> because, dude, I, I think I literally came in, spoiler, 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 I came in with the spaceman where he points. Yes. Where the hands got the umbrella. Yeah. Like, that's where I, I think I had played racquetball so or something. <laughs> Yeah, I think I got home from Racquetball, and I sat down, and I started watching the movie, and I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> nice, like, nice. What is this? I was so confused, dude. Like, I was so confused. So now that you've sat down and watched it start from finish the way our good lord intended, what are some <laughs> of your first thoughts on it? Um, <laughs> I thought it was, <laughs> I don't know. So here's the deal. I, I, I oscillate back and forth between how I feel about it. Because on the one hand, oh, I have to say this for you guys because I did it for you, for you gentlemen. Okay. You know that there's an English dub? Yep. I watched it in French Ooh. with the subtitles, bro. Nice. I didn't even know there was an English dub. <laughs> Just to prove that I could do it. <laughs> Now, I have to tell you, I think I like the movie way less because of it. Aw. Well, did you try watching it in the dub version? Yeah. Wait, what? You mean this? this oh, Colin watched it yeah, sub. I, I watched it sub, yeah. and I did not go back and try to watch it dub. So maybe I should have. I don't know. <laughs> so what do you think was your holdup? Like, what, what about that experience watching the sub? specifically for this film because it's so visually stimulating visually beautiful there wasn't there's honestly not a ton of dialogue in it so it mm -hmm. doesn't matter at quite as much as something like a uh, parasite might sure i don't know dude it's it's one of those things like it's the feeling when a teacher in high school assigned you to read a book even though you knew in your heart it was probably actually a good book. You hated it because <laughs> you were assigned to read it. That's how I feel about subtitles. It's like I like having the option to read them in English <laughs> when the movie's in English. <laughs> that I still can't get get 
But when I can't I'm wrap my brain around to read that. them. <laughs> Caleb, I'm on your side here. <laughs> now, granted, I do like where Colin's going with the conversation about, you know, you almost appreciate the non-dialogue parts of these movies more because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily in a language you understand. Because this is very right. much a movie that has two parts to it. On one part, it's about the hand trying to get back to its body. Mm-hmm. And on the other part, you have, um, what's our main character's name? Naufel? No, Naufel. Naufel? Yeah. Say it one more time. I'm, I'm going to butcher it. Eight. It's basically like if you were to say it in American, like in an American accent, it'd be Naufel. Okay. I'm just, like, just going to call him our protags. I'm going to butcher his name. <laughs> but anyways. Oh. Well, that's what Tenet did. So, and it's an American yeah, movie. T- yeah, Tenet yeah, can hey, do hey, it. Hey, hey, there you go. Nolan's footsteps, baby. No, but on one hand, this is a movie about our protagonist going about his day-to-day, kind of, you know, pursuing certain themes, ideas regarding fate and his future. And on the other hand, and that first storyline is more, there's a lot more dialogue going on. There's definitely back and forth between him and Mm -hmm. other characters. Whether it's the narrative about his hand trying to get back to the body is very much not about dialogue. It's a very visual, visceral, elemental experience because it's just a hand crawling yes. around. And a lot of times, this will get me some cringe comments, but <laughs> and a lot of times it reminded me of Pickle Rick's pursuits through the sewers minus yeah, Rick Sanchez like talking that comparison. all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I like your comparison. Well, thank though. you, Caleb, thank you. But I think what Colin's going for is there is a good conversation to have about this movie in regards to half of it doesn't really have dialogue and the other half does, and that can kind of affect your viewing of what you perceive and took away from this film. Sure. And that was my experience watching a Terrence Malick movie for the first time. Nice. Have I ever seen a Terrence Malick film? You might soon, hint, hint. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, Colin, when that time comes, I'm going to pick one of the more digestible ones. In my opinion, at least. In my opinion. I appreciate it. Digestible. The more palatable ones, Jack, this, you have no idea how big this is going to come back later in the episode. Boom, got him. <laughs> so, just remember that you said that. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm remembering. You're thinking, you're thinking, you're remembering, you're remembering. Now, that. this was also my first time watching I Lost My Body, and it's one I'd been very excited to watch, because Caleb had been speaking very highly of it, especially of its score for a while. I actually meant to watch it about five or six months ago, but then Caleb kind of teased to me that he was going to bring it up for the pod, and I thought, oh, well, I'll just wait. Perfect. And I gotta say, this is a great film to do a full-length episode on, because whether there's a lot of films that we cover, like Candyman or Secret of the Ooze, where I'm kind of like, oh, great film, let me talk about how great it is on the podcast, this one is where I'm kind of going back and forth. Part of me really likes the film, but another part of me just doesn't vibe with what it's going for. And I think mm. that's what makes this movie so perfect for our discussion, is we really get to sit down and kind of dissect our thoughts and feelings in regards to the film's quality. So, for example, I think there is an argument to be made that films like Isle of Dogs and Hunt for the Wilder People, which are films that I reference because you two like them a lot more than I do, hashtag arrival, baby, <laughs> But I think, uh. I think there's an argument to be made that Hunt for the Wilder People and Isle of Dogs are episodes, not episodes, though we did cover them in earlier episodes. <laughs> they are feature films that have a certain level of production and quality and money put into them to where you can make the argument that these are more fulfilling, bigger, better movies than I Lost My Body. 
But I think I got more out of I Lost My Body than I did those other mm. two films. Meaning, at the end of the day, I like this film more than I like Isle of Dogs or Hunt for Wilder People, but I'm not convinced that I Lost My Body is a good movie, if that makes sense. Interesting. No, I really like that. And, I, and I'm glad that you expressed honestly that you're kind of going back and forth about how you feel about this movie especially for both of you because that's kind of what my hope was going into this episode i was like i honestly don't know how jack and colin are going to react to this and i think that's an exciting thing to explore in a podcast episode well caleb i'm excited you brought this film for us to talk about today too let's start with you caleb since you brought us the movie Mm -hmm. what's kind of what was some of the draw some of the appeal of this film you know you talked a little bit about how you kind of saw certain parts of yourself in the main character, and maybe that sure. might have provided a bit of a pathological appeal. What What are some of the things you really like about this film that, you know, will bring up some good discussion? <laughs> so I do have some discussion points and questions ready, but I also have two quotes from the director, Jeremy Clappin, that I want to read. Well, I'll read one now, but we can save the other one for later if it naturally comes up. Hmm. Um, so I'll start with his first quote, and then from there we can maybe discuss something or some things that he brought up. So, quote, we enter the film from the point of view of the hand, but it was not only about a severed hand having a trip in Paris. The fantastic element when, when I was reading the book, and if you didn't know, this is based off of a book, this story. The fantastic element when I was reading the book allowed me to travel in my own past because the film has a really universal theme with the past, memory, our relationship with our childhood, and what we lost with childhood. In the end, we all want to take back this missing part. At the same time, we have to try to be a better version of ourselves. I want viewers to look inside themselves. So I'm curious what y'all's like reactions are to this director's statement. Nice, nice. No, I like film. where you're going with this. Colin, would you like to take it away? Oh, man. This is where my opinion oscillates, like I was talking about, because... Yeah. This movie is very good. Like, it's beautiful. Mm hmm. But I think we can all agree. I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying this. <laughs> it's a little douchey. <laughs> right? Oh, I explain. Keep keep talking about keep that. Keep explaining. It's just <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, give some examples. You can't just say something's douchey and then you're like, well. <laughs> Colin, you're kind of douchey. Yeah, you End can. of story, no examples. You're a douche. <laughs> oh, okay, him. here we go. No, no, an example Look. is Colin likes Arrival, so that makes, no, I'm just kidding. That's a low blow. Arrival fans, <laughs> I love you guys. You know, sometimes you drive me, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look, here's the example, okay? Like, you know what? My opinion's coming back. You see what happens? It's like, there's an inner turmoil within me because I don't think the average Joe, the average person would like this. Do you think that they would? I don't know that the average Joe, the average moviegoer, viewer, would choose this film to watch. So I don't think they would have an opportunity to like it. Okay, I mean, that makes Well, that's what I'm saying. But like, yeah. let's say that this movie got the same release and hype as like, I don't know, Jumanji 4 or whatever. Or that's... Toy Story 4. Yeah, exactly. So let's say that it hit those numbers. Would the average person walk out of this movie being like, ooh, man, I really took an introspective look at myself. And in that yeah, sense, I... it's it's just a very smart movie 
And I feel like anytime you have I a think smart you're right. movie, it talks can can feel at points like it's talking down to you. If that makes sense. As of right now, I lost my buddy from 2019 on the website Letterbox has 68,000 <laughs> views. Now the average rating of those 68,000 views is a 3.7. So by this mathematical articulation, we can determine that over half <laughs> those 68,000 people gave this more than three stars, which would be mostly positive response. <laughs> That's my response to Colin's conversation. Thanks, <laughs> I think Caleb's right about the average Joe might not even watch this movie, but the fact that it is on Netflix means more people will probably watch it than most like foreign animated films. Yeah, like randomly stumble upon oh, it that's as true. an option. That is true. You are correct. Now that I'm not trying to diss you, Colin. I just I think for me, like the conversation of whether or not the average person would like this film or not, for me that doesn't exactly equate with the film's quality. But I do like where you're going sure. about the main character being a douche or not, because I would argue this film has a bit of the Scott Pilgrim syndrome. Oh, yeah. You learn, or if you're a sane person who's not a sociopath, (laughs) you realize pretty quickly into this movie, like at least before the halfway point, that you probably shouldn't be rooting for the main character. And then the rest of the film takes kind of a emotional point of trying to make you sympathize and relate to the character and build the character up from a place of being a negative, douchey, bad person into something a little bit more stronger character-wise. Does that kind of make sense? I know that might be a vague way of putting Mm -hmm. it, but that's kind of how I step back from the presentation of our protagonist in this film. Mm -hmm. I mean, that I agree. Yeah, Colin, I do want to talk about how you're right in, in, in your assessment because there is something interesting that you're bringing up about, you know, not it not being as digestible or accessible or, you know, the average Joe isn't going to spend their time thinking about this. Right. Because like, yeah, like I think there's in a lot of ways you're right. Like people don't want to, like, I think the average viewer doesn't don't want, doesn't want to go to the movies to take an inner look inside themselves. As Jeremy Claplin said in, in the quote that I read, um, they want to go to enjoy something maybe to find pleasure in, in, in an experience of watching something unfold on screen. Right. Um, and I think where, where me and maybe even both of you defer from the average viewer is that's not enough for us. You know, we have a podcast. We, we're discussing these things. And so right. we are just naturally going to take a look inside of ourselves and explore themes and bring those out. Whether that's considered douchey, I think, is dependent on how you handle that conversation that's, that's and true. how you treat exactly. people that don't do that. Because I also think, I, like, the I, conversation stems from this idea that a good film is a film that makes you think about things and look within. But I think Colin might also, if I'm interpreting your argument correct, Colin, there's also a conversation that there is a level of spectacle and entertainment that a film needs to draw in. And maybe something like this sure. doesn't always hit that mark in the most appropriate way. Now, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of bouncing off of your comments you've made to maybe define them in a way that balances out the conversation. But I don't know, Colin, I am curious, like, do you think this film's issue is that it might be a little bit too introspective and, um, I don't know if existential is the right word, but, you know, if it's too big on... I would 
Oh, go ahead. I go would ahead. say existential is the right word. <laughs> oh, it's for sure the right word. I I think it's the right word. <laughs> so, look, I like thinking about movie. Don't get me wrong. I think I like this movie, but mm-hmm. it it does feel pretentious at times. Is is what I'm saying to me anyway. Maybe it's just because I'm dumber than you guys, so. <laughs> I feel the parts I didn't understand, it was like, well, this movie's just, uh, it, it's shitting in its ivory tower. Something like that. I don't know. So, Colin, if you don't mind me asking, what do you think were some examples of whether this film was kind of on that line of being pretentious or not? Do you think it had to do mainly with, like, the human characters and their interactions with one another? A little bit, yeah. It's also French. So maybe what I'm perceiving as douchiness is just like actual cultural norms, if that makes sense. That's funny. Dang, Colin. Wow. Maybe I don't. Maybe maybe my dislike of this film is just because of some weird patriotic American red, white, and blue gene that got in there, and I just hate French people. <laughs> I mean, Colin, your favorite movie's Parasite, so it's obviously not a What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just, just, still, just still memeing you there. Who said that? Who <laughs> said that? <laughs> Plot twist. The next episode, when I pick a film, I'm actually picking a foreign film, too, so wait till we get Colin then. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, going off what Colin's saying, this is very much a film about fate. And it's very much channeled into concepts and ideas about loss, which is why we've brought up the word existential several times mm-hmm. in this conversation. And I think no matter how you spin it, that is going to be a conversation or theme that can either A, kind of go over someone's head and be a little, it might not be accessible, or two, it can sometimes hit very deep, powerful emotions in the viewer and that might be conflicting when it comes to watching the film. I Okay. Mm-hmm. What I think this film does that's interesting, and this is kind of transitioning more towards other topics of conversation, is this is very much a balance of, like I said earlier, you're watching this hand go through its journey. You know, it's crawling, it's fighting rats, it's playing with the piano and babies and swimming, and there's not a lot of dialogue, and there's not a lot of, you know, textual conversation of, a, you mm-hmm. know, character A conversing with character B. But then it flips-flops with the hand's owner, our main character, you know, pursuing this young woman he's interested in and talking with family members and mentors and bosses about his day-to-day life and kind of bigger themes as a whole in his life. So it does this interesting dynamic of, on one end, you get a lot of no dialogue, lots of visual action with the hand, but then you get more kind of day-to-day, day-in-the-life type of pieces as far as the drama goes. And I think that's going to draw a lot of people in, is that flip-flop. You might start getting bored with, you know, this guy pursuing this girl he's interested in, but then all of a sudden you got this weird disem- you know, dismembered hand crawling around fighting rats and on the run. So it's this interesting play of your attention because the two stories are connected, but it never really reveals how they're connected till the big final act, you know? Right. I think an also contributing factor to this was that I have seen the final third of this movie, 
before. Right. So that the tension wasn't quite as big for me as it would have been for someone who'd never seen anything. So. Sure. I will say having seen this whole movie before and then rewatching it a year later, I still felt the emotional performance. If you can say that of the hand as it went on its journey. Mm -hmm. And even in that final act, when it gets severed from the body, I think that despite knowing that's going to happen, I was still drawn into that experience and those feelings because of the visuals that, that you see on screen, because of the sound, because of the way that it's making you feel about it. And I think there's something valuable there that is important to consider, Not maybe not necessarily for the film quality, or maybe it is for the film quality, but just for in terms of talking about this genre of, or maybe even how do you sink emotions deep into something that can't speak that doesn't interact with humans right how do you portray emotion that's like i think that's a really fascinating thing to think about because what's another example of a story where emotion is portrayed by a dismembered body part by something that doesn't normally express emotion i mean not an entire story but i mean that the idea of expressing emotion through lively animation goes back to right. the reason why the 2D animated magic carpet in Aladdin 96 mm-hmm. is way more appealing than like the really stilty live action animation of the of the tw- yeah. whatever 2017 or 18 Aladdin. Yeah. And what I think is unique about the hand is what it's trying to tell us about its connection to the protagonist, to Naufel, is that it does the hand retain, does this faculty of sense in the hand retain the memories of the main character? Like, does is it just as destined and is its fate as sealed as Naufel's is as he's trying to explore? Like, I think that's a really interesting parallel or maybe even intersection to 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 discuss what 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 do y'all think about that do you think that the hand is its fate sealed is it does it retain the memory of of its body in in the same way that niophil has Uh, i'll go first colin if you want uh, yeah Caleb asking the big question. Caleb ask a thinky, thinky, <laughs> hard, hard question. I think in the end, both these narratives, the one about the hand and about our protagonist as a whole, is very much about fate, the big F word. <laughs> yeah. Because in a lot of ways, the hand's journey is very perilous. There's a lot of dangers in its way. Mm-hmm. And, man, I'm thinking about that shot where like it falls into the train like underneath the subway and the rats come at it. And it's just like that overhead shot of all the passengers getting off and on the train. But below them, they have no idea there's a little hand just fighting rats under there. And it's this mm-hmm. kind of sense of danger you get, but it also provides a really good scope to how large and dangerous the world the hand has to embark on is. Because all these people are going about their normal compute, commute, their normal daily lives. Right. But deep down within the cracks of right below their feet, there's this 
kind of harrowing, excellent adventure that's really engaging and interesting. And that yeah. connects well with the main character's journey because he's trying to find his own purpose in the world and his own, you know, place to be, his own happiness in a very hard world where he lost his parents and he feels a lot of loneliness. So the journeys themselves have very mm-hmm. separate context, but there are interesting parallels that run through the two sure. adventures that the main character goes on and the hand goes on. And I think whether you like or dislike this film really depends on if those parallels engage you in interesting ways. Because I think Colin would make the argument they didn't always do that, and I would make the right. argument that I respect and appreciate the attempt, even though it doesn't always work. And Caleb, you get to play Hype King and be like, oh, this movie's awesome, 10 out of 10, let's go <laughs> boost in that soundtrack now. And I do want to yes. say on the record, that okay. soundtrack is really good. I really do like that soundtrack, and... I'm trying to remember, it's the first song, like when you played on Spotify, the first track. I can't mm-hmm. remember how to what the name of it is, but it is phenomenal. I love the way the synths and the woodwinds and the strings yes. all combine. Great, they great They complement each other so yeah, well. it's a yeah. killer score. But, yeah. Hmm. It is a killer score. I uh, thought that it sounded a little bit like a... Um, or, or looked and sounded like a music video almost, like an electronic music mm-hmm. video. Uh, especially at the very, like the first hand segment, um, especially it was like, man, this is literally sounds like it could be on like a Daft Punk album. <laughs> One more time, <laughs> music's got me feeling so free. We gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance with me. One more uh, time. One more time. Hey, also Daft Punk's from France, so there you go, Colin. You don't hate oh, the France. Cool. We knew I, you had. I actually it, didn't, didn't know that. That's a fun fact. Daft fun Punk fact from France. Um, kind of random fun fact, but on the note of electronic music, I guess <laughs> you know the album Jesus by Kanye West. Yeah, right. from what I understand about this is very random, but I had to say this because Caleb's a fan, <laughs> and my wife's a big fan, so she'd want the shoutouts. But when they were recording that album for Jesus, basically what Kanye did is he hired some of his favorite electronic musicians and producers from around the globe, brought them all to Paris, France, had them hang out, work on recordings, work on different ideas, different beats, different productions, and while they did that, he would go walk around the Louvre for like nine hours and just look at art and be inspired. And then he'd come <laughs> back to the area where they're recording and he'd be like, here's what we're going to do today. <laughs> That's amazing. What, what a what a legendary pr- pr- production process. Now, Colin, which one's more pretentious? Kanye's mindset for Yeezus? Kanye, 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 Kanye. <laughs> Nothing will ever Got him. be as douchey as Kanye, man. <laughs> Now, Caleb, going back to the movie real quick, one thing I wanted to ask yeah. you was, I don't know if you looked at some of the reviews for this film on Letterboxd, but I was not very surprised, and I want to get your thoughts on this, I was not very surprised okay. that a lot of the more mixed reactions to this film kind of favored the narrative involving the hands journey over the actual mm. human interactions in the film. Does that surprise you at all, or could you see why people were more interested in the conquest and journey the hand went on as it was looking for its body. Oh, I can, that, that, that's the appeal of the movie, right? You show the trailer and it's, you see this hand dismembered running around Paris, France. Like, what's that about? That's the, what's that about? Like, (laughs) yeah. Hey, what's that about? Like, you don't, you don't, you're not going to get hooked. I mean, some people might, if it was just about 
a severed you hand. Know, a dude that lost his parents and he's struggling to figure out his his purpose in life and he meets a girl he's really interested in. Like that story is played out. Like you hear you see you hear that, you see that all the time. But you add this unique perspective into it when really that that layer of the story of him, you know, losing his parents, struggling to find his way, meeting a woman that he falls in love with, that's actually I wouldn't even argue the primary storyline for him. Like his journey is more about the fate versus free will discussion and being released from the mindset of, oh, there is this certain, like I'm doomed for a certain way of living or a certain um, purpose in life. And that's, and I, and I kind of want to return to, if I can, the question I brought up because I found another way of presenting what I was trying to say on my first watch. I saw the parallel between the hand and now fell as the hand is trying to return to its lost body. I lost my body. So it's trying to return to it and be reconnected to it. Upon the rewatch, I noticed the flashbacks and the experience of the hand attempting to help his, his body help, help now be set free from that mindset that he felt he was in. Um, kind of like this very uh, pessimistic outlook on his life that he has a certain fate and he helps him get free by um, I'm trying to remember the specific scene. Do you remember the scene where the woman's name, I don't remember the, the, the woman's name in, in the film. I know it started with an um, M. But the love interest. Mel- Melinda? Melissa? Or was it Gabe? Or oh, was it, it was Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriella. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know who we're thinking yeah. of. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who we're thinking of either. When she looks in the in the cabinet and there's an igloo made out of like sugar cubes. Right, right. that the handmade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that the handmade. There's something about that scene that was almost kind of cathartic in a very subtle way for the hand and, and the hand's journey was the hand realizing I'm not going to be a part of my body anymore, but I'm going to let him go into, into uh, the North pole. Like he's super interested in this, like in, in the winter and the snow and this big unknown. And he's, and the hand feels free to let him do that after finally returning to him and having a moment where he's like, no, like are we, are the hands, like I can't actually be reconnected to my body. Did y'all see that? Yes and no. Like when I first watched it, I didn't really see it. But as I've kind of like, because it's been almost a week since I've watched it. And as I've kind of like, you know, okay. played it over in my head and looked at reviews of it and now talking about it, I totally see it. Like I get why you mm-hmm. like this. I get why you love this movie, Caleb. So earlier when we were doing our opening thoughts, I remember bringing up that, you know, I like this movie, but I'm not convinced this is a good movie. I think you just convinced me there this is a good movie. And I think it might not be a film that really, like, resonates with me in a hardcore way, in a really gripping way. But the engagement that you're sharing now, that makes me go, okay, this is quality cinema, quality filmmaking, quality art. And I'm glad that people mm-hmm. can just pull up Netflix and watch it. So I, I like where you're going with that a lot. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm glad I was able to help you 
kind of realize that to some extent. Let's just say I think the rating I'm giving this film now is higher than what I would have given it before this discussion started. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm excited to hear them soon. Hmm. I'm back to the happy opinion of it. It is beautiful. It really is. Can we talk about the... uh... Actually, you know what? I want to skip that. Let's talk about how this guy is definitely not a good, normal person. (laughs) Okay. Can we we explore this? This is kind of what my discussion question was I think that has to do with Jack's point about the about the mixed opinions on Letterboxd are about the human interactions as opposed to the hand. Right. So I like where this is going, Colin. Yeah, Colin, I want you to read off that discussion question because my discussion question might be similar that I wrote down. <laughs> oh. Basically, I wrote it too long on here, but my discussion question was it, a much simpler version of the question is, is what he does cute or creepy? <laughs> Yeah, and my my question was just boiled down to how do you feel about his actions after their initial exchange on the bottom of her apartment? Like, you know, right. are they justified? Are they wrong? Are they bad? So we, I'm glad Colin and I kind of walked away with similar discussion questions for this. Look at yeah. Colin and I, good buddies. Woohoo! Yeah, right. That Woo-hoo! is a really good question, and I think the movie itself poses the question for you. Like, it wants you to think about that. Oh, absolutely. I hundred. Yeah, you're you're right there. Because I think he's a creep. I'm just going to be on the 100% like, I don't think he's a good guy. And the number one reason why I think that is because I don't like what he does to her uncle. Mm. Like, I feel like it's not necessarily like an inhumane evil action, but I think there is something very wrong about him. And it's art. you can argue whether or not he uses the uncle to get closer to her. But his initial conversation, presentation, his initial confrontation with the uncle is very much about like, oh, I'm following this girl, leave work to see where she's going, which is pretty creepy. Mm -hmm. And he kind of uses that to take advantage of a situation. And yes, maybe he learns something from that positive, kind of going back to the parallels of something like Scott Pilgrim. But it still is, there is still something initially wrong with it. Now... Real yes. quick, though, one last thing I'll say, going back to Scott Pilgrim, which, spoiler, 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 if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim, it's been 10 plus years, shame on you, <laughs> go watch it, skip ahead 30 seconds if you haven't. With Scott Pilgrim, the end of Scott Pilgrim, he very much realizes, like, man, I was a bad person, the way I treated knives was wrong, the way I acted around my friends wasn't cool, I need to grow and, like, respect myself mm-hmm. more that, from a very literal visual example and it's very obvious that he is learning as a character as the protagonist whether it's this film he definitely learns something and there is some growth going on there but i don't necessarily think that growth affects him in a way that is positive reinforcement for other characters like the uncle if that if that makes sense where i'm going with that but i mean by the end of the film he i think it's implied that he is going to continue working for the uncle right Oh, absolutely. I think I think it does, too. What I'm saying is I don't think the film necessarily... It's not necessarily like he's an anti-hero who is the bad guy abusing this mm-hmm. poor guy. But I just think his intentions come from a very awkward place that even with the highest lens of nuance, it's hard to really justify him as doing the right thing there, if that makes sense. Oh, no. It, it, yeah. But I mean, like, 
what I'm saying is he started out like taking advantage, not taking advantage of, but like using this guy, but like he swerved into it, if that makes sense. So like he might have started out with the wrong intention, but by the end of the film, I think it's implied that, oh, I'm going to stick with this job because it's actually something that, yeah, like it's I don't, helping I don't him know. fulfill the empty hole in himself. Uh, yeah, I don't know how easy it is or what it's like to try to get into woodworking as an as an apprentice. I can't speak to that. So if if you're a listener out there that does know, email us. At yelling at the screen. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's also in France. I'm sure the rules However, are somehow different. However, I will. I do want to point out that you know he was able to re- he spent the time to research and build an igloo out of I, yes. wood. Which is pretty impressive for someone that just started doing this. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like there was that much time between him starting and him building the igloo. He might have discovered a passion for it that he didn't know he previously had. So there's something genuine about that. I will say that I think he his his moves in trying to to get with Gat Gabrielle is I think mostly fine up until the point he decides to take advantage of the uncle to get to get closer to her. I think he should have just come out and said like he was struggling in the in the library bathroom to figure out how to greet her. What what is his opening line going to be? And I think if he just said like fast fast pizza bonjour or whatever like that would have been a great line. He just didn't know he couldn't choose to do that. Yeah. And that's a very realistic. That's a very realistic depiction of how, like, a guy, yeah. of, as a person who's been in that sort of mental state at one point in his life before, like, super down, depressed, wasn't quite sure. Yeah, you know, like you're kind of lost for purpose. Like, I, I get it. <laughs> I've been there. Right. Like, and then you discover this apprenticeship, and you you're learning woodworking and maybe you discover your, your passion for it and you actually get into it and you appreciate this older man that's teaching you all these things. Right. How do you then explain to this love interest that whole situation? Right. Like there's not a great way of explaining that. And I do think that is one strong thing the film does well as far as Gabrielle's agency as a character is when the reveal yeah. happens, she learns why like he was doing what he did. She does is chastised the right word she kind of judges him for it you know yes yeah she's not happy and i'm glad because i think there's almost that weaker 90s 2000s rom-com element where a girl would have been like oh that's so sweet my knight in shining armor no no that's creepy that's weird (laughs) Ah, bad boy bad boy yeah this is this is i'm no longer regular podcast jack i'm date night jack i'm the seduction teacher the coach (laughs) And I'm just here I'm to tell you young like guys out there, if you ever follow a woman home from your job, you ain't getting any. You are a loser. Don't do that. <laughs> this has been Coach Jack on Seduction. I'm out. All right, guys. Podcast Jack Coach is back. What I miss? <laughs> Man, you missed Hitch Jack, dude. You missed Hitch Jack. Got to do the dance moves. Let's go. Boom. The robot. Got to do the dance moves. Up to the side. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's the line from that movie? It's like, this is your house. This is where you live. Yeah. That's <laughs> such a good movie. I the more so arm much. movement you have, the more like a loser you look. <laughs> That's funny. Going back to the conversation about like the uncle and the main character's intent on pursuing, you know, his interest and how he gets mm-hmm. meets up with the uncle. 
This might be a small complaint, like I might be being too nitpicky here, but I think I would have been less bothered with it if there was maybe like a two, three minute scene of just him sitting down with the uncle sometime early third act in the last 30 minutes of the movie where they just have a conversation about his purpose and fate. And mm. I'm not saying the main character needs to sit down and be honest about his intentions, but, you know, because I, I just feel like you don't learn that he's sick until Gabrielle acknowledges it, which is kind of cool that you, the audience, has been so stuck in the main character's head. You might have missed that yeah. as well from a certain framing technique right. that is interesting. But I just, I hate to be one of those like, oh, films are empathy machines. Like, we got to talk about, you know, the emotions and the empathy and the agency. But I do think it is important to note that from a certain perspective, if we want to be really critical of this film, I wish there was more to the uncle than just he's the one who's going to help the, um, you know, main character find his purpose in his work. Right. I wish there was... Especially after he loses his hand, there could have been a touching conversation between the two of them. Maybe that's a little nitpicky on my part, but when it comes to why I might not give this as high of a rating as Caleb does, I think that was something that bothered mm. me personally. And I, and I like where you're going with this, and this brings up a point I want to discuss specifically about Nyfell's journey, is it sort of, it doesn't complete the hero's journey, but it has elements of the hero's journey in mm, it, mm. I would say. Interesting. Okay. I think it leaves you hanging at the end because he doesn't actually return, necessarily return home, whatever that would mean within I lost my body. He's stuck story. on that crane. There's no way to. No, I'm just, That's I'm just right. kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Easy jokes. <laughs> yeah. But what do you think about that? Do you think it has some elements of the hero's journey? Yeah, I, I think it does. I think so, I think, yeah. I think it does. I, I definitely think. It. I think this film is going for... See, the thing with Hero's Journey stories is I don't think they always reach for the deeper thematic philosophy-style content this film goes for, especially in regards to like conversations about loss and fate and existentialism. So I would not look at this film as an example of the Hero's Journey, but I think the elements are there for sure. For sure, yeah. For and sure. I think what it's what it's missing might be the like the post transformation like where you get into the atonement and the return home like there's some parts that you don't explore which is a fascinating choice to make for a story like this and i'm i'm curious like if i could read the book cuz i don't know that there's a translation of the book in english like i'm curious what the book's like i wonder if they're able to explain or describe the emotions of the hand as well as they do in the film yeah, I'm curious about mm. that too. If you don't have a visual component necessarily, you know, one small thing I wanna, I really like about this film is that the art is really, really strong. Like the animation and the drawings are really strong. They're really well put together. But there's right. always that weird, subtle, like I don't know how to quite describe it because I'm not an animation expert. But you can almost see the black lines in some of the drawings. It, some it, of the it, outlines. Call it has it. very. Uh, oh God. It reminds me of Into the Spider-Verse the, in the animation mm -hmm. style in a lot of ways. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. I saw that, too. Like the what Jack is talking about with the hard lines. And, again, it's like the slightly slower than normal keyframe rate, I think, is what okay, they're okay. called. You know what I'm talking It's the same kind of thing with Lord of the Rings, except this time it was artfully done, not done out of necessity. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> That's funny. It looks better here. 
And that's a good point. Going back to what I said earlier about how I wish there was a scene between the main character and the uncle, I'm not surprised there wasn't, because unlike Lord of the Rings, this is an ambitious film, but it's very... There must have been a really good game plan for how this film was presented. They probably had all the set pieces and ideas and key scenes in mind, and they storyboarded the crap out of it before they went into it. I, I like mm-hmm. what Colin was saying about being more artfully done. Like, you know, they, they knew they had a limited budget. They knew they wouldn't be able to make a 90-plus-minute movie, so they went with what they had. And I can tell the filmmakers told the story they wanted to tell, which is, I think, really right. strong from a certain artistic standpoint. For sure, yeah. yeah. And going off of that, Jack, I know this is the first time, but I think I saw it more this rewatch. They packed a 80 to 90 minute movie. Oh, they like, did. They don't waste. Oh, yeah. They don't waste time. They don't waste vi- visual time or audio time. Like it's, they fill it up. And I think they do it really well. Yeah, on that I note, agree. I like where you're going at that because I, <laughs> this is kind of a random shout out, but <laughs> I watched them. Um, do you guys know who Buster Keaton is? No, no. please explain. He's sir. like one of the really famous silent film kind of comedy action filmmaker stars from the 1920s. Okay. So I watched Buster Keaton's The General a few, about a week ago, which is also right under the 90 minute mark. And it's very much a. Buster Keaton has to, he's like a train engineer and he wants to fight in the Civil War, but he can't because he has to engineer trains and then the enemy comes and takes the train and he has to go save the train. It's not a very grand narrative. It's basically a similar story as something like Mad Max Fury Road, a matter of here's this device that, you know, people have to go and it's moving along, it's a train, it's chugging along and then you got to get it back, the back and forth of that. There's not a lot to the narrative because it's a very visual story. In the 1920s, they really wanted to show cool stunts with all the train set pieces, and it's a really fun watch. Highly recommend Buster Keaton's The General. Very good movie. Whether's this has a much more complex storyline, and so because of that, they kind of have to be very concise and compact all of their ideas and images together in a really interesting way. And this isn't to say, uh, oh, Buster Keaton versus... You know, a modern-day French animated film, which one's better? That's not my point. My point is saying is that watching these two within 48 hours of each other led to a very strong viewing of making very lean, compactful cinema as far as Hmm. putting a lot of strong visuals and narratives into 90 minutes. So I like that a lot about both films, and I think for this conversation goes, it is definitely an area of praise on my part. I agree. I like that. That's a good assessment. This is That's a plus. I gotta like, give Buster Keen a shout out. <laughs> sure, nice. It's a Avid hearty, listener. hearty film. <laughs> right. There's a. It's like a good stew. There's a lot in there. Not taking up much right. space. Right. That's actually a good analogy. I like that analogy. Yeah. Good job, Colin. Good job. I got you on these foods, man. <laughs> now, Caleb, we're getting close to the hourish mark. What are some other kind of topics, points you wanted to talk about in regards to this film? Because I know you really love this film and you were excited to bring it up. Yeah. And I think, like Colin said, there is a lot to this brew that we need to taste. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> keep keep the analogy going. I like it. I do have one more quote. It's kind of similar to some of the things we've already said, but I think it summarizes a lot well. Uh, so it's a, it's a quote by the director, and I'll I'll read this one. Maybe is like a it's, a it's it might be a good place to end on. We'll see. So quote: It was really hard to see the poetry behind this film about a severed hand. It's about what it is to be human, 
It's an existential quest about love and loss. How do you say that in a, in a pitch? You have to be moved to travel in some area you weren't expecting to go, end quote. I think that does a good job of summarizing some of the themes we've talked about already, and maybe even some things we haven't gotten to yet, like especially the part at the end is like you have to be moved to travel in some area you weren't expecting to go. And that's kind of where you're left hanging is he finally does that, but that's where it ends. And you don't really get to see what becomes of his life after he finally releases himself from maybe the chains or the mindset of his what his fate or what he once thought his fate was. Dang, that's good stuff. I like that. I like that. That is good stuff. Because really like, what this film narratively, for me at least, is about is this is very much a character who suffered a lot of loss, a lot of tragedy, mm-hmm. and it's very tough for him to kind of move on and figure out where his place, his fate is, you know? At one point, it was just as yeah. simple as, do I want to be an astronaut when I grow up or a professional pianist? But then things get more complicated, right. you know, with other things that happen in life, other variables, things going on with family members, feeling lost, feeling mm-hmm. lacking a purpose— and I think what this film is about is how this character has that point where he just loses his hand and suddenly it all clicks for him and he realizes he's going to be in charge of his fate even though he lost his hand. He might have suffered yeah. a lot of loss before, but that moment he thought, you know, this sucks, but I can move on. Right. Now, I don't know if y'all caught this because I don't think I caught this the first time I watched it. The scene where... Gabrielle's listening back to the recording of him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, jumping from rooftop yeah. to the crane platform. He record he starts recording that over the recording of the crash. Right, right, uh, yeah. Of the, of yeah. the car crash, which is a really interesting detail. It's almost as if he's accepting that, like he's he's finally gone through this this grieving this grieving mourning process that's taken a long time, but he's finally ready to, you know almost write a different story for himself than just living within the the re-listening to that moment over and over again which it kind of seemed like he was doing for a bit post the trauma of losing his hand am i allowed to spoil inside out on this podcast (laughs) i guess yeah (laughs) it almost reminds me of the ending of inside out where riley's memories are replaced her old memories are replaced with new ones stronger memories Mm -hmm. except I lost my body is more grounded in reality and like the audio recording, you know, yeah. sensory moment. I think it's really cool, really interesting. I like where you're going yeah, with that, and Caleb. I like that this film is able to handle the fantastical element of a severed hand traveling across Paris and the very realness of this person going suffering a lot of loss and grieving. They're able to do that in such a compelling way that you don't really expect going into a movie like that. Like, this isn't a movie that you sit down with, you know, your kids, like with Toy Story 4 or Toy Story, and you expect to get the same out of This is, as it's labeled, very much an adult animated movie. I like that reading, Caleb. Very, that's really, yeah, I, I like that. That's one of those things, like, I definitely caught on to it when I was watching the movie, but now that we're sitting down talking mm-hmm. about it later, I think I appreciate it more, if that makes sense. For sure, for sure. So I don't really have any other discussion points or questions. Do y'all have anything else you'd like to discuss yeah i'll start um we're going into final thoughts now i'll start with this one thing i really really loved about this film was there was a very elemental vibe especially with the hand's journey so for example the hand gets attacked by rats how does he fight them off you gotta use your elements you got fire he's got the lighter 
the hand falls into the ice-cold river, and there's this very icy, watery thing going on. You know, it's a very earthy movie because the hand is on the ground, in the grass, in the snow. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the final parts of the film, the hand has to travel above the rooftops using the air with the umbrella. So I'm not trying to get all last airbender on you folks, but I, I kind of I like <laughs> that use of the elements in the hand's journey. I thought yeah, it, 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 was it makes sense because this is a very, like, sensual movie in the senses i mean there's even shots of like the main character listening to his dad's watch you know very close to the audio Mm -hmm. and you know there's a a lot of good close-ups on people's eyes and i like how this is a film about the senses it's about a hand so i like that representation sometimes it might have been a little on the nose i think there's a lot of (laughs) times where when we're focused on the main character and when he's hanging out with other characters like the girl it's like the hand, of course, has to dominate the shot when he's riding right. his motorcycle. For and that sure. could be a little yeah. on the nose. Some people might like that. Some might not. But I do want to go back and say that elemental vibe I got from some of the subtextual mm-hmm. elements in this film was really, really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how, you know, if someone might not like how emphasized the shots of the hand are, especially when you cut to... Um, the human interactions. Colin, how about you? Where, where do you want to go with your final thoughts before we get into our ratings of this film? I think that I... Here's the thing, right? This movie is beautiful. There's no denying, right? I think I need to go back and rewatch it with an English dubbed, like a noob, like a filthy American. <laughs> because I, it truly... I forced myself to do it. It truly was distracting. So I feel like I have this innate, unearned hatred for this movie already and i'm trying to get over it can i give my rating i guess we can't give ratings yet but now yeah, my we're final, doing final thoughts. thoughts boy you gotta stay in order get oh in god, god Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> look artistically you're not gonna see a better animated movie for at least another 10 years music wise <laughs> you're not gonna get another wow. animated story for Colin's another calling it now another four 10 years. years um you know what i mean but like you can just tell this movie is exceptional but there's this I just have some biases towards stuff like this cuz I'm a bad critic. I'm like Paul Hollywood in the Great British Baking Show, plug plug. I don't like pickles <laughs> and I don't like crab or whatever. So oh, crab is so good though. Oh my gosh. I know. It was crazy. That's okay. Daisy doesn't <laughs> like seafood, so you know whatever. <laughs> Dude, Catherine doesn't like seafood either. Oh my goodness. Yeah, look what we've done. What were we talking right, about? Kate. Oh, yeah, I lost my body. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> but that's how I feel about it, man. I liked it, but I'm going to give it a decently low-ish rating, <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know. Maybe not. We'll see how Let it goes. Let me ask you this real quick, Colin. There's another movie that you recognize had lots of artistic high qualities that also starred a very annoying fly. Do you think Bruh. this film might be better or worse than, you know, the film our friend the fly was in, Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes, a hundred million <laughs> times. <laughs> Dang, we didn't even talk about. The I know fly. that's that that's why I brought it up. I was like, we forgot to talk about the fly. <laughs> what do yeah. you think this is? A Breaking Bad podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Johnson's at home like, please do another episode on Last Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, someone else go. Those are my final thoughts. Confused and scared. (laughs) 
<laughs> but mostly scary. Confused and scary. <laughs> now, on the moment of scary, I, I do think there is a interesting conversation to have about the concept of a hand just being on its own is kind of horrific. And I think out of context mm-hmm. of this film, there are many moments of the hand crawling around that could very much fit into a horror movie, which I appreciate as well. For sure. Anyways, I've talked a lot. Caleb, you go ahead. Final thoughts before we get to our ratings. Yeah, I think the last thing I want to talk about is what I mean, this is such an amazing animation choice. When that hand has that ravioli can on it, <laughs> and it's crawling around. Yes. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Oh, yeah. oh I love that bit. Yeah, that's that's, like, that's great. It's that's genius. Very good. It's like, amazing. <laughs> I agree. Like I, I put it on par with Pickle Rick. Like that's such a good comparison, Jack. Like, <laughs> thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, dude. All whenever Jack was describing that whole Avatar: The Last Airbender situation, all I could think of was someone saying, in a squeaky voice. Everything was fine and peaceful in the Rat Kingdom, but then the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor rats. All. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway. All right. Who wants? Caleb, how about you present me my rating first, then I'll present the ratings right. for you and Colin. Sounds good. All right, Jack. So I want to take you back to your single years when you're, you know, you're, you're out. You know, you're, 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 you're meeting people and. You just had a rough night. You got rejected by the girl that you're really into. I didn't listen to Coach Seduction Jack, so, you know, of course I got rejected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're at your friend's party, and you're kind of depressed because you just got rejected, and you, you start lining up your, your, your shot. You want to take a drink. But your stupid cousin keeps bumping into you and stealing your shots. So out of the five, how many shots does your cousin prevent you? From taking <laughs> so wait my rating is how many shots i don't take or how many i do take how many shots you don't get to take okay so i get one shot in and i'm pretty quick so i almost get through that second shot <laughs> but the amount of shots he stopped me from taking is going to be three and a half baby nice, nice. i was honestly going to do two and a half or three but Caleb, your conversation about this film. I, I like this movie more after leaving this discussion. I do, too. times like these when I'm glad we have a film podcast. Let's go. Heck, yeah. All right. Colin's next. So, Colin, okay. you know, part of being in love, you know, you love your wife, Catherine. Things are great. But you got to understand that sometimes she's going to pull something crazy on you, like putting extra onions on a pizza. So out of five onions, how many of those five <laughs> onions is she putting on that pizza? Extra. Uh, she's. <laughs> <laughs> what a good one. That's amazing. What a deep cut, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, of the extra onions, because she really doesn't like those extra onions, you know, so she's kind of really, <laughs> she's really picky about them. But she knows and loves me and knows that I love extra onions. So she's only going to pick off two of those bad boys. So she's going to leave three onions on that pizza. Nice, nice. Very good, very good. Now, Caleb, as we all know, unlike Colin and myself, you're the token bachelor of the podcast, single guy. (laughs) You got to show off your sweet move to the ladies. Be like, hey, girl, you want to see something cool? Come up to my roof real quick. Look, I built you some igloos. How many what? of those five igloos did you build for a girl to impress her? What? Five igloos? What? <laughs> Actually, okay, before you say your rating, Caleb, I did like 
lose my crap laughing wise when he revealed that i thought what the heck? i was not <laughs> yeah, ready i was all like that's how you're gonna impress you, you it's kind of crazy <laughs> like i went and i admired it because it was so yeah. stupid and wonderful but on the other end i was like what <laughs> yeah that was pretty it's pretty wild <laughs> so i kind of feel the same way but inverse to y'all so on my first okay. watch i gave this five stars and after y'all's discussion i think I'm going to be building and showing her four and a half stars, four and a half igloos, four and a half igloos. Caleb has been humbled by Colin and I, our work here is done. Colin and I ascend into UFO. (laughs) 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 They're like, tell Amy Adams. I said, I, (laughs) all right. Well, that was, I lost my body. Caleb. Great pick. Love this discussion. Good work. Good work. All right, let's move on to Too Lazy to Check Letterbox, the part of the show. Too Lazy to Check Letterbox. Letterbox. Ooh, very nice. Very well-timed, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> but um, this is the part of the show where we talk about films outside of the feature-length discussion, just so you at home can get a good idea of what we like, dislike, you know, something, something else to pass the time. You, you thought, I want to hear more of Jack's hot takes. Forget Arrival. Let's move on. <laughs> Before Jack goes on his hot takes, let's bring it over to Mr. Colin. You know, it's been the hey, end hey, of spooky hey, season. Ooh, ooh, We're recording ooh, ooh. this right post-Halloween. You've been watching a scary horror-esque little show, ooh, right? Scary. Tell, tell the folks at home what you've been watching. Kinky winky. <laughs> so I have been watching, uh, I'm a little late to the party, my wife and I watched The Haunting of Bly Manor and then The Haunting of Hill House, which are two, uh, I guess they're popular series. Uh, I don't really know a lot about them other than that they have a similar name and therefore I'm assuming similar writers and similar actors and stuff. And The Haunting so. of Hill House came out first, right? That was the original one? Yeah. And the Billy Biley The original Manor's one was Hill one. House. Yeah, Bly Manor's the new one. So, I, uh, boy, where to start? <laughs> I, I've never experienced uh, a popular TV show have this effect in this exact way. So there are like extremely high highs. Like the high highs are the highest highs in a TV show I've ever seen, period. There's an episode of this show, of, of Hill House. I think it's episode six. 90% of the episode is a one take. And the way that they do the one takes where they make you pay attention to the background. Oh, oh boy. You mean one take is in so there's no good. cuts, no edits, right? Yes. Like like a, a, a true one take where the camera follows people, circles in a room. Upon like the third circle of the room, there'll be something in the background. Uh, this show, in both seasons, okay? In both seasons, this show has a very good horror aesthetic to where your eye is naturally drawn to the background shot not to the foreground shot oh nice very cool like very naturally it it sets you on edge in certain sections where the the head of the foreground is like just off center to the right so that your eye is drawn to the center of the screen which is the center of the background does that make sense 
it's very well well it shot. It sounds like the frames mm. and how they set up the shots are there's a lot of thought put into their construction for the viewer's attention. Exactly. Okay, okay. Cool. There's so much emphasis on the background. Mm. It it's so interesting and it puts you just on the edge of your seat in that way uh in a lot of spots. Um I will say this much, there is some bad writing. I and I I mean like CW drama <laughs> on at three in the afternoon type bad writing in both seasons of this show. Neither ending is particularly good, like at all. There's one character in Hill House who is just straight up wrong. In every single scene she's a part of, she is at fault morally, logically, sanely. And like I'm pretty sure we're meant to feel bad for her, and I don't. She's terribly written. I don't. I don't understand that character at all. Surely, for those of you who've seen it, now real quick, she's backing wrong. up real quick. Hill House is the one where the family had that like tragic ghost story happen to them when they were kids, yes. and now they're all adults and they're kind of reexamined. Is that is that what the premise of Hill House is? That's what Hill House is. So their mother committed suicide one night in this supposedly haunted house. And the show is all about how they, uh, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing. Like, philosophically, it's cool because the mother, can I, I'll spoil, I guess this isn't really spoiling. I mean, Hill House is over a year old now. Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. You find out, basically, and this doesn't tell the whole story, so I wouldn't even say it's a spoiler, but the, like, the mother kind of, the house is obviously haunted, and the mother kind of went cuckoo nuts, and you don't... But you find out that part of the reason she was going cuckoo nuts was because there was this figure who keeps telling her, like, oh, the you have to keep them in the house. The outside world is, will poison them, and da 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 all this stuff. So, like, she wanted to keep the kids in the house, and now the kids go out, and they're actually being poisoned by things. Like, like capitalism. drug at it. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's like a drug addict son, and there's a girl who can't touch anything because she has such severe synesthesia that when she touches something, she like instantly feels their emotions. Hmm. Uh, interesting. The, interesting. There's, an, there's another son who's. And it's. I think they're lazily trying to set it up as like the different stages of grief. Mm. Like one of them is in the bargaining, one of them is in denial, one of them is in the anger uh anyway so philosophically there's a lot going on in these shows but you have to be there is some bad writing like in hill house that's the one i saw more recently so that's a little bit fresher on my mind but like in hill house there's a one of the sisters turns out to be a lesbian and like a dude wrote that character. Mm. Like that is what a dude mm. thinks a lesbian is. Uh, yikes. She's like this <laughs> super hot, like black haired, like wears eyeshadow and like is sassy and emotionless and cold. And she's like, I'm a lesbian. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're just a dude. Like you just, a, a dude that has a vagina and boobies. I do know a lot of dudes <laughs> who wear eyeshadow. That is fair. <laughs> 
I don't know. It's, it's just a very poorly written lesbian. <laughs> Colin, like, wow. All right, Colin. It's like very clear that a, that a guy wrote it. I don't know. All right, Colin, what's the better horror? These two or one of these or Mid- M- Midsummer? These two, dude. <laughs> Caleb asked him what? the big question. Dude, absolutely. Caleb's all like, the way okay, you he's giving me enough these, to where I can have hope sense. here. <laughs> dude, I'll tell you this much. Like, the rest of this, especially Hill House, Bly Manor is, there's not like a standout episode like there was in Hill House. Like, the entire show is just overall better. But, like, I recommend that you watch season one of Hill House just so you can get to episode six and have the proper context. Okay. And then you don't have to watch the rest of it. But just so you get up up to there and watch that episode and be like swept off your feet by how beautiful this one shot scenes are these one shot scenes are it's so cool <laughs> like it's so cool yeah this is i'm glad you watched this con because these are series that one they they were like fairly popular like i saw a lot of the letterbox crowd really love on them very well acclaimed too a lot of people had a lot of high praise for these series so i'm glad that even though there were some hiccups for the most part you were into it's kind of aesthetic and what it's going for and its vibe if you don't mind me asking was it scary like were you pretty frightened by any of its ideas or presentations or was it fairly good drama with horror aesthetics kind of surrounding it i would say that i i wasn't peeing my pants like every second of the movie you know what i mean or of the show i mean right right but i mean the parts that are meant to be like extremely scary and extremely surprising they're effective Mm. like i said the primary focus of the show is is far more the horror is very much backdropped back it's it is the background so that's why it's almost filmed like a like a drama and then literally in the background is where the horror elements live, if that makes right, sense. Right, like this isn't this isn't like Evil Dead yeah. or something. No, no, yeah. But the spooky stuff is very like is gets you. Like there are moments that really get you. Oh man. There's philosophically another metaphor for mental illness and suicide and oh oh in Hill House and I Oh, Hill House is better. I've just decided. I'll <laughs> Colin have to tell has Colin has put his mark <laughs> down. It is beautiful. All right. Okay, Catherine, you're right. You're, you're right. <laughs> but Shirley is the worst character. The worst. The absolute worst character ever. I hate her. I hate, hate hate her so much and i don't know one of you guys has to watch it so you can either confirm or you know call bs on me part of me honestly going back to caleb's question part of me wants to watch midsummer so i can finally determine who wins caleb or call yeah you really should jack that would, that would make for an interesting I, uh, episode hate, to talk about I, a segment of what you hate to. Midsummer so much, dude. I still can't fathom how you hate it so much. This just doesn't make sense to me. <sighs> so Arrival, slow. Midsummer, and Thor Ragnarok, the holy trinity of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it really real, is, though. though. 
Dude, Thor Ragnarok is so good. Now, Colin spent some time with his spouse, Catherine, watching Haunting of Hill House. Everything. (laughs) And I spent some time with my spouse, encouraging Caleb to watch Richard Linklater's The Before Trilogy, which I've talked shortly about Before Sunrise here on the pod before. And we won't go into too many spoilers, but Caleb, what were some of your general thoughts on this trilogy? Were you, did it live up to the hype that myself and mainly Daisy presented to you? Absolutely. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can overhype these movies. Because I was, that, if you Colin? have, you if you that, have no, <laughs> if you have no context for these and you don't know anything about them and someone tries to hype them up for you and then you watch them, there's no way to oversell it. Like, you can't do it. So it sounds like you were a fan. Oh, absolutely. Like these were beautiful movies, some of Ethan Hawke's best work in my opinion. Especially I think I've decided that I don't think Before Sunrise is my favorite. I'm still torn between the second and third one being my favorite. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I think I think a lot of people would disagree. I mean, going back to the average rating on Letterboxd, Before yeah. <laughs> Sunrise has a much higher average rate. But anyways, enough of that. I think Before Sunset is easily my favorite of the three, partially in what mm-hmm. it does with the time frame. Sure. The first movie starts at point A and ends at point B, and it's over the course of this amount of time. And then the third movie kind of does a similar thing with its time frames, but the middle one, Before Sunset does a very interesting, almost real-time-esque presentation for what the characters are going through, which I don't want to get into too much spoiler territory, but it's really exciting from a direction standpoint. It's just really strong filmmaking and really strong acting, and I I think they're all great movies. I would go Sunset, the middle one is my favorite, and then Midnight is second favorite, and then Sunrise is still a great movie, but probably my least favorite of the trilogy. Hmm. I'd have to agree with Sunrise being my least favorite right now, but I can't decide which one's higher, Midnight or Sunset. See, one thing I thought that was really thrilling and fun, and definitely something where I'm really excited for us to get Colin to watch these movies, because I'd love to hear what him and Catherine think, is I noticed that Daisy is more around the age of the characters in Before Sunrise, and she was very enthralled and encaptured with what the characters were saying and how they acted and kind of Mm -hmm. their hopes and visions and watching some of their more skeptical, pessimistic ideas kind of fade away into something more hopeful, really, it really struck a chord with her that I thought was really interesting because I'm older than Daisy and older than those characters and didn't quite hit the same way. Now, age-wise, I hate to be the guy, I'm throwing my age out there, Daddy Jack, let's go. (laughs) But I'm more in between. Like I'm not quite as old as they are in Before Sunset, but I'm not as young as they are in Sunrise. So maybe that might be why Sunset resonated more with me, but I'm very interested in the idea of watching these films again in nine years and seeing how my perspective has changed. Oh, yeah. that is. I think that's going to be timeless about these movies, that you'll always be able to return to these at some point in your life, and you'll have a different perspective on it. I think that's a unique part about, about these movies. Well, I'm glad you were a fan. Do you want to say any big shout-outs for these films before we move on without spoiling anything for Colin and those who haven't seen Linklater's really, really strong trilogy? Yeah, I feel like yeah. anything I want to say I, would be I know nothing. I, I can't contribute. <laughs> ah, yes, they sound interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Professor Colin at it again. <laughs> I got nothing. 
I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. You're good. And, and I, I mean, you'll you'll watch them eventually, Colin, because I think Daisy will you'll, eventually make you'll you. You'll strap me to a chair and <laughs> force me. But Caleb, any any final thoughts on the Before trilogy? Moving on. Nah, I'm good with what we've talked about here. Anything else would just be pushing the boundary of spoilers for Colin. Nice, nice. Well, what else have you been watching, my friend? You've been watching any other '90s films that are worth bringing up? <laughs> I have. Hinting so I almost story. picked this one instead of Bottle Rocket for my birth year episode that I did a couple months ago. So I picked Bottle Rocket, but my second choice would have been Fargo, which is done by Joel Cohen, mm. one of the Cohen brothers. Ooh, very nice. That's Frances McDormand won her first Oscar for that, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yep. she is amazing in this movie oh, great actress great great actress i love mcdormand like i think she's joel conan's wife also i think oh that's interesting i could be wrong but i think they're married it's such a fat it's not what i expected at all i don't know what what i was expecting but it wasn't that and i loved that what it ended up being it was it was an, such a fun watch do y'all know anything about the plot because, Jack, I know you've maybe seen it once. Yeah, I saw it when I was younger, like back in high school. So I don't remember it that well. I know Steve Buscemi's in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about Drop Dead Gorgeous a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, and how it had that very northern Wisconsin, Minnesota-esque vibe. Right. And I know Fargo is very much it's of that very, kind of period. <laughs> very much. As much as you can get in all of the great ways, I, I would say. Nice, nice. But it sounds like you were a fan of this film, right, Caleb? Yes, oh, it was such an enjoyable watch. The story is fascinating too, because you don't really know if you're not f- acquainted with this what it's based on. Because I think it's partially based on a real murder or situation. Right, like, right. Like it's kind of based off some true yeah. crime esque elements. And I think the show does that too, if I remember. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot about the show, but I think that Neither sounds do I. right. So it was a it was an interesting watch. If you don't know anything about it. Hmm. Okay. I, I, remind me again, Caleb, like, because Conan Brothers, they're pretty big. Like, they're very much, as far as contemporary American cinema goes, mm-hmm. they're some of the biggest you can get up there with, like, you know, Tarantino. Yeah. Have you watched quite a few Conan Brothers films, or was this one of your... Are you still pretty, like, new into their canon? I'm probably about halfway into their canon, maybe. Okay, okay. Some of okay. the big, some of their big ones I haven't seen. Like, I haven't seen No Country for Old Men. I haven't Ooh, seen The Big that's Lebowski. A that's also so, a good one. I haven't seen Hail Caesar. I've heard that one's really good, too. Or Raising Arizona. I've heard all those are amazing. I'm with you there, Caleb. I'm only about... like I, I haven't seen Blood Simple or yeah. their new one that's on Netflix with... um, What is it called? The a Ballad of Buster Man. Scroogs or Scruggs oh, or something? Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I haven't seen Inside... Uh, is it Lewin Davis? Right, right. That's it, yeah. With yeah, I haven't Oscar seen that Isaac. one. Yeah. Of the ones you have seen, do you think Fargo ranks pretty highly? Absolutely. It's def- It definitely sits at the top for me now. Nice, I'm, I'm nice. a huge fan of it. How about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Is that still, because I know you're a big fan of that film, is that still number one on your, your list? Or? Uh, well, I don't he's know. Thinking, I guys thinking I, Fargo <laughs> might take its spot, but... If it's number one, then No Brother or Arthur is number two for sure. That's pretty Damn. big, Colin. You're a big fan of O Brother or Arthur. I am too, a big right? fan of O Brother or Arthur. I I haven't seen Fargo. I need to. It's on my list. I gotta. It's I on gotta Netflix, see it, dude. and it's like ninety minutes as well. So it's a, quick, it's a quickie. 
Maybe maybe that's feature length potential for one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for, for the Fargo fans out there, so you can trick me into watching Fargo <laughs> fancy films. <laughs> I think my favorite Coen Brothers film will always be um, Burn After Reading. That's a fun Brad one. Pitt and George Clooney. I love, love, love that film. I think that's one of the best American comedies of the past twenty years, easily. That's a pretty good one. Very strong film, and the fact that they it came out less than a year after No Country came out, just brilliant filmmakers. That's. Mm-hmm. We we support the Conans on this. Collins talked about the True Grit remake before. You know, we we oh, like. Oh, dude, it. I love the. Tr- I always forget that's a Conan brother. Yeah, that movie's so good, <laughs> man. And that's the thing when you as filmmakers, you know, you make films like that that kind of just get lost in your catalog that are still really good. That is such a man. What what a legacy. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. When your films are so good, people forget you're married to Francis McDormand. <laughs> Dude, I am going to make y'all watch the True Grit remake. <gasps> Spoiler. Colin's Dang. getting some ideas. I do want to rewatch it. I saw it in theaters, but I don't remember a whole lot from it. <laughs> kind of. This might sound really like sentimental and sad, but after talking about I Lost My Body, I'm, I'm kind of happy we're bringing this up. So when I was 17, my little brother got killed in a car wreck. And it was kind of a tough week after, you know, you're in high school and you lose a family member. And I remember my grandfather, who was a very, like, silent type, like, kind of just, he wasn't one to really talk about emotions a lot. He was just kind of like, you know, let's take a break from all this mourning and funeral stuff. Let's go see that True Grit remake. And my grandpa and I just saw it, and I don't know, there was something very fitting about that. I always, my grandfather passed away a few years ago, and that was one of my favorite memories with him, seeing the True Grit remake after my brother passed away. And I I don't know, something about after I lost my body, which is about loss, you know, the main character losing his parents. I don't know, the True Grit remake, mm, good stuff, good stuff. Good job, Colin. Good job, Caleb. <laughs> Getting sentimental with the pod. With the Yats crew. That's us. Well, speaking of getting sentimental, we're going to talk about one young hotshot who makes <laughs> all the guys and girls very excited and crying tears of joy. It is sheer brilliance of acting splendor going from the hot teen figure everyone knows and loves to a very excellent piece of quality acting in the making i thought you know i did a little horror vampire double feature last week for this segment or last time for this segment i'm gonna do another double feature based off our boy robert pattinson let's go Let's Real quick, Pattinson. Go. Is, is it beautiful. Patterson or Pattinson? I always forget. Pattinson. Pattinson. No R. Okay. No R. So I decided to watch kind of his post Twilight years. <laughs> Literally Twilight. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That was not intentional. Don't pull out the pun, please, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so for the double feature, I watched him in David Cronenberg's 2012 film Cosmopolis, which I'd heard a lot of strong, positive things about. And then I watched him in the 2017 Safdie Brothers film, Good Time, which Caleb had also watched for the first time this year, so I'm excited to talk about that one. But real quick, Cosmopolis, great, great film, highly recommend. I think it's on Prime, so go check it out if you haven't. Great Robert Pattinson role. It's basically, he plays this young billionaire who's working in this, it's kind of the future, but maybe not, it might be present day, and it's just about a day in his life where he's going around his super high-tech limo full of computers and all these fancy expensive liquors and medis- medication devices. Real high-tech limo. 
And it's one of those films where it's just a guy in his car talking about business, philosophy, eroticism with various friends and business associates. And it's very much about the economics, capitalism, the choices we make in our day. There's a lot of philosophy themes going on here that made for a very interesting, engaging watch. And, and I'll be honest, I really like this film, but I kind of don't know where to start with talking about it. <laughs> and honestly, I remember halfway through the film, I thought, we could never do a full episode on Cosmopolis, because one, there's just so many ideas and themes going on in the film, I wouldn't know where to start. And two, Colin would kill me if I made him watch it. The first half of this <laughs> film is basically Robert Pattinson in a limo talking to people, and I was like, I wow. can't do that to my boy Colin, I can't. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) He said, thank you, Jack. Now, Good Time, on the other hand, oh boy, this is quite the film. This is one of those films I've been hearing about for years, even before Uncut Gems was announced. A lot of the film critics I trusted and a lot of my friends who I trust their film taste were like, oh, you gotta watch Good Time. You gotta watch Good Time. Good Time will blow your mind. It's amazing. And I gotta say, it lived up to the hype. It lived up to the hype. Did I like it as much as Uncut Gems? I don't I don't think I did, but I would give them the same star rating on Letterboxd, if that Ooh, makes sense. Interesting. Ooh, okay. Now, that Colin, if you don't mind me asking, have you heard anything about Good Time? Because Caleb and I are going to discuss it here real briefly. I have heard nothing. I've never heard of it until just right now. Basically, the plot of it is Robert Pattinson plays this young man named Connie, who, after breaking his brother out from a mental hospital institute... They decide Mm -hmm. to rob a bank, and then things go south, and the brother gets arrested and hospitalized. And so Robert Pattinson says, you know, like, we might have gotten some money, but I'm not going without my brother. And it's basically, it spans, it takes place in one night as he attempts to get his brother out of this hospital, and they kind of get their way out, avoid the cops, and explore a very criminal-heavy night full of various characters of interesting backgrounds who all have a kind of criminal histories and might not have the best intentions. And I would argue, Caleb, I'm here, curious to hear your thoughts, ideas, mm-hmm. or discussion around this film. But I would argue the draw of this film is that this is very much a almost pulpy detective work because it's very much about Robert Panson saying, okay, what do I need to do to achieve plan A, B, and C, and where do I go from there? A perfect example of this, without really spoiling much, is the bit I knew I was hooked to this film is when he's in the hospital and he's just thinking, how do I figure out what floor my brother's on? How do I figure out which room is his? What do I do when I encounter the cops? And you kind of watch him. He doesn't say these things out loud, but he like he sees a nurse on the lunch break like, hey mm-hmm. man, why are all the cops on floor seven? And the nurse is like, no, the cops should be on floor eight, man. What are you talking about? And Robert Pattinson's is like, oh, that's what I meant, floor eight. And then he walks by the cop, and he kind of, like, talks to them a little, plays around with it. And you go, man, this guy, like, for a low-life criminal scum or whatever, he's pretty smart. And then immediately, like that, he does something so stupid. And you go, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, okay, he's doing smart things again. He's being detective. He's doing this. (laughs) And then, nope, he does something stupid again. You're like, no, stop it. Oh, no, Connie. And it's very much like Uncut Gems, and it makes you very stressed watching this character kind of they almost get a little bit ahead, but then something immediately knocks them down. And there's a point in this movie, I think I called Caleb right afterwards, like, Caleb, where <laughs> halfway through this film, 
Connie realizes he did something really, really wrong and just ruins his whole night. And it's, yeah, there's nothing <laughs> you can do. You've made a mistake. What do you do now? And it's, it is a wild, wild movie. Caleb, how about you share some of your thoughts on the film? <laughs> yeah, it's talking about with like, I lost my body being so close up in people's faces a lot. You kind of get some of that in good time, which is makes for an interesting visual experience as you're, you know, really getting into the story and you're getting stressed out by what's happening, but you're like, so like the, the frames are like so claustrophobic sometimes that it just adds to the, to the intensity of the drama. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of very intense yeah. close-ups in this film. It is, yeah. it can be very unnerving and even the to watch. colors attribute to that too. Like the color, the color choices are the genius. Like that's one of the best parts in my opinion. That's also what I liked about Uncut Gems is their use of color to help you experience emotions and to interpret what's going on. Oh, with Good Time, there's just so many great like green lights or red lights that kind of yeah. overshade. They're not quite filters, but you just get this yeah. strong presence that you're watching something very visually dynamic and unique. It's really interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. And Connie, the thing is, is like he is a genius, but he's also he's also foolish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. You see how that plays out throughout the movie. It's interesting because he can make a foolish decision, but no matter the consequence of that, he's able to figure out how to talk his way or work his way out of the situation or take advantage of the situation for his interests, which makes him a genius. <laughs> I saw – I really should have credit. I feel bad I'm not going to give them credit, but I saw one review on Letterboxd that was basically like Robert Pattinson's character in this film – is a cross between the Roadrunner, Bugs Bunny, and any animal that's ever chewed off its own limb to escape a trap. And I thought that <laughs> wow. was a brilliant description. That's of pretty this perfect. Film. Yeah. It, it really is. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of Bugs Bunny, one thing I think is really interesting about this film is the film is really funny. Oh, yeah, it like, is. It's got there's some a lot of moments it. where something really messed up happens, and you go, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> like, that's kind yeah. of awesome and hilarious. Yeah, I will say. Well, actually, I'm not going to say that. That'd be too, too spoiler, too much spoiler territory. I will, I will go ahead and say, because you've already said something similar, Jack. So maybe this will help Colin think about it, how it relates to Uncut Gems. What the Safdie brothers were trying to do with Good Time, they accomplished in Uncut Gems. Ooh. Like there was some, some of some of my negative feedback that I give Good Time. I loved in Uncut Gems. And I do think, like, it's worth noting the distinguishing factor between Good Time and Uncut Gems is with Uncut Gems, Colin, I know you've seen it, and I'm sure a lot of our viewers have. It's pretty popular. <laughs> Uncut Gems is very much a guy who has 25 different decisions going on, and he's trying to balance mm -hmm. each of those, you know, gambles, those compromises he has to make in his day-to-day -day and figure out, okay— Plan A is going wrong. How does plan B and C help this? Oh, they're going wrong too. I'm probably screwed, but luckily I have plan D and E on the back burner. <laughs> yeah, By yeah. the way, here's Lakeith Stanfield. Let's go. I'm going to go punch the weak. By the way, here's <laughs> And that's Uncut Gems. And I think Adam Sandler is how he really fits that role well. For Whereas sure. with this film with Robbie P as Connie is very much, I have one problem, and there's no way I'm getting out of this. I'm going to find a way out of this. I'm going to find a way out of this. Let's do it. And then halfway through the film, oh, I fucked up big time. How do I save myself? And that's basically yeah. the film in a nutshell. And I think that kind of distinguishes whether you'll like one or the other. Sure. And I sure. can see why 
if you haven't seen either film, I would almost recommend Good Time first. Mm-hmm. Because like Caleb said, I think there's something about Uncut Gems that feels like there was a lot that was building up to it. I, I think right. I read somewhere that it was either Josh or Benny who wrote the script for Uncut Gems. They wrote 120 drafts of that script. And the reason they wrote mm-hmm. so many drafts is to create the feeling of no drafts. Yeah. Interesting. That makes sense. Well, they, they, they also had a lot of edits to make because the star basketball player switched frequently. Like they were going to have like a Knicks guy because Howard's like a big Knicks fan but then they couldn't get him. Then they were going to use Kobe Bryant, but they couldn't get him because of his basketball schedule and his life schedule. And the, the, the star just kept changing. So they had to rewrite the culture of the movie because the culture of Kevin Garnett it would be really different. distinct from the culture if you had Kobe Bryant in it. And it's almost like, going back to the comparison, I feel like Good Time is a film that definitely costs less than $5 million to make. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Uncut Gems... You know, I, I want to say Uncut Gems. I'm looking it up now. Uncut Gems cost almost $20 million to make, and you could tell there was a higher budget and there was a lot more yeah. detail put into its scenes and production. And the cast was fuller. Like, you had some interesting right, exactly, supporting exactly. actors and actresses. The weekend ain't cheap, baby. Yeah. Also <laughs> ain't cheap to hire the weekend to get beat up by the same. Right. <laughs> no, but, but that being said, despite the budget difference, I do think these films are of a very similar caliber. And if you like one, you need to watch the other. I like Uncut Gems better, but I definitely would give them the same rating on Letterboxd. Yeah. Yeah, if you're Robert Pattinson, Stan, Good Time is a must-watch. He okay. is able, like, it just it's just another example of how dynamic of an actor he is. It's it's genius. Are we excited for the Pattons and Batman? The Patton Man? <laughs> the Patton Man. Yeah, I, I am. I, I, at this point, there have been so many Batmans, like, a new Batman doesn't bother me anymore. And I, I like Robert Pattinson, yeah. so I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. I did find it interesting. I don't know if both of y'all heard about this, but he got sent home from the set because he wasn't like fit enough or something for the scene that they were doing. <laughs> I did, yeah, I did hear about that. I think <laughs> he you wasn't told me, Caleb. Fit enough? Yeah, like he wasn't like his like, six pack just wasn't quite <laughs> quite there. Like I mean, was, I don't know the details, but I just thought it was funny that he got sent home because he wasn't in shape or something. <laughs> <laughs> Come back when you're in better shape. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so last time the homework assignment I gave my co-host was kind of about diving into this podcast, what we're about, you know, what the format is like, what the, you know, what the formula and style we go for. And I wanted us to think a little bit about our co-host and what is kind of the defining features of our co-host taste. So basically their homework assignment was to define their co-host taste in film and talk about that as far as how would you present that to others in regards to the podcast. So if you guys want, I can go first, or if you guys feel good about your answers, you can go first. But it's just Colin gets to talk about Jack and Caleb. Caleb gets to talk about Colin and myself. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Let's go! But only if you guys chant for me for a second. Midsummer rocks. Midsummer <laughs> Rock. I'm just kidding. No. I haven't seen this. <laughs> he knew my summer. weakness. Oh. Thor Ragnarok is better than I remember. Thor Ragnarok yes. is Ooh. better than I remember. <laughs> 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 Anyways, Colin, show us what you got. 
got. Show us what you got. Here's the deal. Okay. I think of, uh, I think of you guys, I think of you people as equivalent to sommeliers. Okay. To what? (laughs) (laughs) Where is he going with this? (laughs) Sommeliers. Could you provide a definition? Those are the pirates that took out Captain Phillips, right? Yes, the sommeliers. Oh, I was making a joke. Is that really? Oh, no. Colin, where are you going with this? No, Jack. Do you not know what a sommelier is? It's the professional wine people. Oh, okay. Who are like, know that. This has. You didn't. I knew something Caleb didn't know. I really thought he was talking about the pirates from Captain Phillips first. You were thinking of Somalians, Jack. From (laughs) Somalia. To be fair, Jack, I was also thinking about that. So I'm on your side. (laughs) Freaking Colin, what are you doing? (laughs) Look, this is what I'm saying. You know how the there you've got some people out there who exist who are like they take a sip of wine, they're like I can taste the hint of oak in the barrel that this was kept in for twenty five years. You know what I'm saying? I like what oh, I've this seen is Parks and Rec. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so sometimes when Jack talks about his movies that's how I feel. Ah, oh, thank you, buddy. And I'm just like, yeah, this wine's pretty good, I guess. Mmm, wood makes me feel good. Makes me feel good. <laughs> Got my wit. Nice. Anyway, that's okay. But here's what I'm talking about, Jack. You've you've given me this sommelier. Uh, vibe and this feeling and you know when you start talking about movies like uh uh oh i don't know something like the sword of doom by kinachi akamoto from japan in the 70s or whatever (laughs) um 60s actually thank you very much oh geez (laughs) 60s actually exhibit a thank you very much actually i did give him a good example there (laughs) and then Something as hipster in the United States as, like, Rushmore. I don't know if I'd say it's hipster now because, you know, Wes Anderson is big, but it was when Jack liked it <laughs> originally. <laughs> Lady Bird had that poster in her room. Can't be that hipster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's how I feel about you, Jack. You are the mm-hmm. uh, foreign Japanese film from the 60s guy. You're the... You're the one with the finest taste. You drink that wine and you go, mm, I can tell you exactly what year dish is from, where the vineyard is, and where, um, uh, where the, the, whether or not the owner's dog had been spayed at the time this was made, or, uh, that's you when, with film. It also means you're the most knowledgeable. You know more about it than Caleb and I. Caleb? I know on my screen I have to turn my head a little <laughs> to look at you, so that was really fatherly just then. I was just got done grilling Jack, and then I went, Caleb? <laughs> Caleb, you're like Jack's younger brother. Ah. You, you're looking through the window at Jack's life, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, he's watching this Japanese foreign film. I guess that looks pretty good. But then you turn around and you see the massive world of everything else behind you. And you're like, ooh, <laughs> Midsummer. 
That came out recently. <laughs> I like Midsummer. It's pretty like these old movies. I don't care that there's nothing going on story-wise in it. I like this type of movie. So you're like looking through that window at Jack's perfect sommelier life, and you're like, I mean, that's okay, but then there's popular movies, and then you like normal films, you know, like me, like Arrival. Uh, (laughs) But on the other end of the spectrum, you try to imitate Jack or have this sommelier lifestyle, and you also watch movies that are a little pretentious. (coughs) Foreign film, (coughs) lost my (coughs) body. Careful with that cough, buddy. Careful there. Careful. You don't want to. You don't want to spread the Rona, Colin. <laughs> bruh. <laughs> yeah, bruh's right. I mean, even the opening of this episode, Caleb kind of did that perfectly. He was like, "Hey, Arrival's a good movie. I like Arrival." By the way, I can now see the Terrence Malick influence on Arrival. So I think that was yeah, a good example. That is a good of example of what Colin was describing, which I like. I don't have any issues with that. I think that was a good. <laughs> that was a good uh, interpretation. Hey, and go. Caleb, I'm a nice guy, so you're out, you're out, you're out my window peeking in. I'll bring out a blanket to you when the snow comes. Nice, nice. So I don't have to go in the igloo that I built on the roof. <laughs> Colin, very good work on this assignment. You get an A, not an A plus. I'm the captain now. No A plus. <laughs> Caleb, you want to go next for this assignment? I'll give it a shot. Yeah, let's give go. It a shot. All right, so we had a brief discussion about this before we started recording today. And I'm going to use an analogy, kind of similar to Colin, but in a different, a different way of using the analogy to describe my co-host's tastes in film. I'll start with Jack. So you know how you go to a fast food restaurant like McDonald's, say, and you, you, you just want... The classic, you, you you don't want a full meal, but you want you want something that's just it's really reliable, it's it's faithful, but it's like this has been what people have gone to for, for a long time for a good fry. You go to McDonald's and you get a good you get a good French fry from McDonald's. You know it's got a good crunch, it's got a good a good amount of salt. It's gonna taste good, and that's kind of how I've how I sometimes view Jack's film taste is like, yeah, like it's going to be the, this is what the classic taste is of film. You know, this is the old reliable. These are, this is how it's been, this is how it's been seen for decades. You know, this is the French fry of French fries, right? This is how to, how to view the taste. Now, Colin, on the other hand, you know, it's going to be a little bit more flavor, in terms of what he's looking for, and I guess he's not just going for this one type of thing or or the classic way of seeing it. He's gonna both adopt the classic and the what's popular, what is commonly di- digestible to a lot of people. You know, he wants to talk about movies on the podcast like it's. Um, he wants to talk about the ones that are easily digestible to the average viewer. So you go to, I feel like when you go to a place like, and maybe I should have flipped these. Now that I think about it, maybe I need <laughs> to do. I want to talk about the the animal fries at um at uh, in and at In and Out. Oh, classic! So good. Yeah. So good. You know they got they got the they 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 look amazing. You know they have they're they're they just 
they're designed so well and they end up tasting good too. Like you won't ever, you, you can't be disappointed by that. And so this is a poor analogy. I was not ready for this, but <laughs> that's my final answer. Give me my C. I want to go home. <laughs> no, no, no. You get a B plus, C. my friend. There was some creativity. I think it was a well put effort, Caleb. Yeah, dude, it wasn't I'm an, the easiest. I'm an English teacher. I would have given that like a like a eighty eight. Like, yeah, B plus. I, Let's go. I knew you weren't prepared, but yeah, damned if you didn't think on your feet, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you were like Connie in good time. Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> Chewing off your own lip. <laughs> Chewing off. That doesn't actually happen in the movie, BTS. Yes, yeah, so spoilers for good times. Robert Pattinson does not chew off his own leg. <laughs> dang. There's someone who hasn't seen the movie like, dang it, I was really hoping for that outcome. <laughs> Robert Pattinson chewing off his own leg. <laughs> All right, I guess it's my turn to go. So I kind of approached this assignment from the standpoint of using a film-type analogy where I thought of certain film characters from movies I like to mm. describe my co-host. And for my good man, Colin... I thought of Robert Altman's 1973 film, The Long Goodbye, which is very influential on classics like Nice Guys and The Big Lebowski. So I think you two would like The Long Goodbye. Maybe we'll cover it for another episode. Nice, nice. But the core concept of The Long Goodbye is that Elliot Gold's character plays like your traditional noir detective. He's out to save the girl and solve the case, the mystery. But where The Long Goodbye kind of has this new Hollywood-esque vibe to it is that Elliot Gold's detective is supposed to be a classic 1930s, 1940s, you know, a time where men were men and movies were movies type of guy. But he's surrounded by the kind of counterculture hippie era of the late 70s, lots of sex and drugs and the psychedelics. And sometimes when it comes to Colin's interactions with the world of film, I think Colin's kind of like that. He's got the classic man, like, I'm a critic, I know how to think and analyze my way through these situations, but he doesn't always keep in touch with what's going on around with him. I would describe Colin as the pop culture detective and manic outsider agent. (laughs) You can never really predict what Colin's going to say on a movie, and that is amazing, and it's perfect, perfect material. A good example of this is last week we talked about overrated, underrated films from the 90s. And Colin goes, oh, it's easy. The Game, 1997 with Michael Douglas. You might (laughs) say to yourself, well, Colin, what's your opinion on David Fincher and how he handles the camera? And Colin goes, dude, I didn't even know David Fincher directed this film until you told me that. What else did he direct? (laughs) Fight Club? Whoa! That's the thing. (laughs) Colin is a very, very smart man. But most people would already know that who love film as much Colin does. And that's where you got to respect Colin. Colin has the balls to hop into any conversation <laughs> and say, did I bring a knife to an M16 fight? I did. <laughs> but joke's on them because my wife is bringing the gun chucks. And I can't remember what time she's coming, but she's going to toss me those gun chucks, and then I'm going to show these guys who's boss. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Caleb... When I thought of a movie character to describe you, I thought of something similar to what Colin said. Mm. You see, if Colin is the pop culture detective and manic outsider agent, you are the prestigious student of film discourse. You are Mm. the Obi-Wan Kenobi to my Qui-Gon Jinn. Nice. (laughs) I think you're very much interested in film history and the art apart from film that makes up kind of the core themes and concepts that 
all moviegoers love, and you're very much interested in pursuing those and pursuing the conversation around them, which I love. I think one day Colin's going to have eight or nine kids running around chasing him, and he's going to be like, which one of you put Midsummer in the Blu-ray player? You're grounded. (laughs) And while that's happening, you and I will be sitting on our rugged chairs with cups of tea talking about some film that has less than 1K views. (laughs) (laughs) I know... Kayla, when the time comes and Darth Maul kills me on Naboo, you'll be there spitting good movie facts ready to take him down. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's awesome. I love that now, You need to watch out for Anakin, though. I, I haven't yeah. picked an Anakin yet, but he's coming for you. You better have that high ground. <laughs> Don't worry, yeah. I'll get the high ground. <laughs> I'll get the high ground. So that's my answer for this assignment. What did you guys think? Did, did we like this conversation piece we had about the three of us? <laughs> it was interesting. I do. I like that we all kind of went the route of like, I compare you to yeah. this job. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was good. It was good. It was good. I do have one final thing to add that okay, I, I thought it, yeah. of. I want to specifically talk about you and or Jack and Colin's dynamic when it comes to discussing film. Okay. Okay. Let's which go. I think is an interesting observation that's separate from our discussion we just had i would say that jack and colin's dynamic in discussing film is like oh what's the it's we we quoted it in in our last episode that that moment between gimli and not not aragorn legolas i can't legolas yeah it's the Colin's moment the in the type that, of guy in, who looks at me and says hmm. i never thought i would you know, die, die side by, by side. Snob, yeah, no. yeah. It's that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I'd be all like, side how about dying side with, a with a friend? Yeah. That that dynamic is y'all. And when it comes to discussing film, and it's so funny. I, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I approve. I approve. I'm not as hot as Orlando Bloom, but I'm okay with being Legolas. <laughs> <laughs> well, good discussion, gentlemen. Caleb, that was a good. I'll boost you up to an A minus for that. You get some bonus points I did it. there. You. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, normally I would introduce next week's homework assignment, but I'm actually going to do something a little different this time. I'm going to introduce the film we're talking about next time, Mm. and then I'll kind of introduce the homework assignment after that because this film kind of relates to what we're going to be talking about for the discussion surrounding next week's assignment. Are you gentlemen ready for this? I'm ready. It is Jack's time. My time, baby, to pick the film. Watch out, Colin. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Honestly... 100% 100% honest with you guys, I picked this film because Colin hasn't seen it, and I think he'll love it. So, Colin, last time for his pick, he picked an animated film. Caleb, for his pick, went with the theme of picking an animated film. I also decided to complete the trilogy by picking <laughs> an animated film. And, of course, we can't let Colin be listening to things in English, though this film does have a very memorable English dub, which I'm okay if we watch. We are going to be watching one of my all-time favorite films... The 1988 anime masterpiece. It's Akira, baby. I love Akira. Let's go. <laughs> it's not controversial to say it's a masterpiece. What are you talking about? Man, how do you say this director's name? It's like Katsuhiro Otomo? Oh, well, the weebs can send me angry emails. It, yelling at the screen. <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> the weebs. This is one of those films I've wanted Colin to watch for a long time, so I'm making him watch it for the pod. And Caleb's seen it once, so he gets to have a rewatch. Almost a year ago, similar to Lost My Body, so that's exciting. That is exciting. 
And now, the homework assignment, gentlemen. We are coming to the end of 2020. So in honor of this podcast making it seven, eight months, however long it's been, your homework assignment is to take the last 12 episodes starting with Isle of Dogs on to Hunt for the Wilder People and every episode up to Akira's discussion, and you are going to rank all 13 of those films oh, from dang. your least favorite to... Actually, it might be more, because I know... How about this? I'll list out the films real quick. But the all homework right. assignment is all three of us are going to rank the films we've covered in 2019. Got it. That's really exciting. I, I like where this is going. And we might do like a podcast official one, but we'll do our individual ones first next time. So I'll go ahead and list out those films without further ado. The films we'll be ranking next week or next time. Isle of Dogs, Hunt for the Wilder People, Lawless, Infinity War, Endgame, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, Candyman, Once Upon a Time in the West, Bright, Bottle Rocket, King of New York, Lord of the Rings, the 78 version, I Lost My Body, and Akira. So your assignment, gentlemen, is to rank them from your least favorite to favorite. I think I can do that. Yeah, I think so, too. It's going to be fun. Well, this is going to be interesting, considering that we've rotated selections and we've picked some of our favorite movies. So this will, I'm curious where some of these will fall. I am, too. It should be a good time. Starring Robert Pattinson. <laughs> nice. All right, gentlemen, without further ado, that's all we have for you guys today. I'm Colin. I'm Jack. And I'm Caleb. And we are yelling at the screen. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. There were over 160 drafts of this script to achieve the feeling of no script at all. Okay. This is uh, this is incredible. I've taken a, a, a um, flu- what an honor. Long distance you know, road trip. Sandman, uh, we wouldn't be here without you. About forty-six hundred miles. This one was probably about twenty-four thousand miles. The collaboration the is unbelievable. And that's kind of like a your strength. Good long-term lease. But, Except um, there was no like buyout option at the end. And I just I mean, want to thank. Ten years is, uh, I is want, a long time. I really want to thank everybody who worked and, uh, on this film. I have to. We I, couldn't have made it without I you. I have to thank. We have to and thank the, first the ins- and foremost Sandler. The inspiration for saying. For saying yeah, saying no ten years ago, yes, and, and, and also and then feels, saying no again five years ago. It's so hard to, be, but then saying to yes get up two and a half and do years something ago. where you feel a twenty four so hard saying to yes. try to be well, a twenty four said yes no, you uh, before the we even asked them the to say yes. And Scott Rudin and Eli Bush, they said no way too much. And you want everybody uh, Scorsese, to feel involved. Scorsese and said thing. he didn't really and say anything. It really but is. We, but uh, it is something he, very he got involved. Ava, my wife, Ronald Bronstein, so honestly, you're our brother. Uh, and and like, Murray, thank you for Cosmo, saying crazy with a yes and, and exclamation and point all the time. And, and that was just yeah, your, Sebo, your, thank your you for saying yes to really weird shit all, course, all the time. Your strength, your constant and, belief and, is and, incredible. And to Film Independent, and thanks just, for saying oh my why, God, uh, really, why not. And um, It's such an insane Much love. Last time I was on this stage, I fell like twice. And um, Josh, I love you. I love this you, man. Incredible. I love you, also.